Good morning. It's been a bit since I've uh, stood before you here. Altoona brethren, it's good to be back after three, four years or something like that, eh? Seems like it though, doesn't it? And it's also always good to connect with God's people and especially those that we have some invested ourselves in into each other's lives over the past how many years now? Eight, nine? Is it getting? I think it's coming closer to ten. One thing that comes becomes really into focus is time flies. Time flies. Ten years go by and we wake up and wow. Look what that they're gone, and they're never to return. And uh, one of the great things about connecting with a people that we that we uh, share the same heritage, same values, same principles, same direction. One of the great things uh, that that can uh, that comes out of that is is uh, the mutual. Uh, encouragement, the mutual, uh, the things that we so easily identify with with each other, and therefore we can we can um, we feel each other's needs, we sense each other's uh, disappointments. We 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 have the same kind of of uh, uh, life experiences uh, from back in our fellowship and in yours and in uh, our fellow brethren here in the USA, and so. The messages that I speak of and the messages that I preach on are um, very much inward in our inner life, in our inner man, to help us walk the external life, the Christian life with fellow brethren, especially those that we are connected with like we are in in our churches, in our fellowship. And as the brother here mentioned in his opening, in his uh, introduction here, in his uh, devotional, there's one verse uh, when, when he said, when you look for fruit, you look inward, and it's true. The Bible says in Psalm 139, that the writer of Psalm says, uh, King David, search me, O God, not search my brother or my sister. He said, search me, Oh God, try me and my reins and my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And only that's, that's the only way fellowship can be built. The only way. Therefore, preaching the word of God on a Sunday morning is only one small aspect of your Christian life and walk. It is only one piece of the puzzle. The preaching of the word goes on everywhere today. Millions of people are listening to God's word this morning. But the Christian church in the world has never been more needy than it is today. The Christian church has never been in a more more needy situation. That tells us that the preaching of the word alone doesn't do it. There needs to be far more. There needs to be an inner searching in the individual. Not we come and do our two hours of uh, prison in church or whatever you want to call it. And then we live the rest of the week. We have our good life and we, we, we live like we want to live. And we, we go into our routines and into our comfort zones and, and just live. That's never going to change society. That's never going to change the world. It's as God's people say, search me, O God. Reflect on our lives, reflect on our walk with him and, and seek to, to tune our hearts to his frequency so that, not, that we not only hear him, but that we can hear his direction in our lives and in our walk as we walk together. And that's what I want to do when I, when I speak the word, Lord, when I speak God's word to the family of God. I, uh, I long to, to bring a message that, that resonates with what you're going through, what you're facing at this hour. And having not been here for a while, I don't know all that you're facing, all that you're going through, all the battles you're facing, but um, 
If you're a child of God this morning, if you belong to him, you are facing some kind of battle. If you aren't, I'm afraid of you. I fear for you. If you are a child of God, you are, you have signed up for battle. You've signed up as a soldier for the cross. You've signed up to pursue and advance God's agenda and God's kingdom. That's what we've all done, if we are his children. And in doing that, we face challenges, adversities, turmoil, battles that are common to the Christian. And that's kind of what my message is this morning. As we long for the body of Christ to be revealed in the earth, as we long for, for the kingdom of God to show itself in these last days, a, a, a powerful testimony of God's uh, sovereignty and of his working in his people to show it, to manifest itself. This is what I long for. This is what I pursue with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I am uh, in that pursuit we we wrestle there's no doubt about it we wrestle but we need to realize that god is waiting for us he's waiting for us we talk all day look and talk all day long that we should trust god and you know lean on him for support and strength but the flip side is can god trust you can god trust you as his child that he can put some weight on you and give some responsibility to us to help with his agenda. Because we are his hands and feet down here. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And this message here today is not, uh, it's a message I've had before. And um, it's part of a mini-series that I did, uh, I think a couple of years ago, back home. But it's uh, so significant, it's so re- it's so much a part of our, our walk that uh, it's something that, it's a message that, everyone needs to hear several times because statistics show that uh, most of us retain about 10% of what we hear at a sermon. So we need to preach a message about 10 times and, and we're, then we're getting, <clears throat> getting close. So if you've heard my ma- this message before, uh, you'll hear it again today in, t- in some form. But this message that I have here this morning is... Uh, uh, it's part of a two-part series, and uh, the two, the, I'll, I'll say the title of both messages, but we're just going to discuss the first and most important part that gives that, that, that leads up to the second one. And the first one is four ways, four ways that God's people respond to adversity. There are four ways we as God's people respond to to adversity. And the second message of this one is called Dark Times Last Only As Long As Necessary in Our Lives for God to Accomplish His Purpose in Us. That's the second part of the message, but we'll, we'll focus on the first one today. So no matter how spiritual we are, no matter how much we know, no matter how smart or intelligent we think we are or believe all the right doctrines, say all the right things, I'll tell you one thing this morning, our faith in Jesus Christ will be tested and it needs to be tested. As gold tried in the fire, so our faith in him will be tested and God does it. Don't give Satan the blame. Don't give your brother the blame. And don't give anybody else the blame. It's God who tests the faith of his children. Because he matures us and wants to take us from glory to glory. He doesn't want us to remain um, babies in the faith. He doesn't want us to remain carnal Christians. He wants us to to to, to develop into spiritual giants that that are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So this message is needful, and I want to take you to 1 Peter as uh, the, the basis for the text here. 1 Peter 1, 3-9, he speaks to God's people. Speaking to us, 
I love this passage here. 1 Peter 1, 3-9, where he says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to us now. Which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. He's talking to his people. Look what he's, look, and he he tries to encourage him. Look what's waiting for you as his people. Who are, but you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, and whom though now you have seen him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Peter gives us a beautiful passage here. To, tell, to encourage the Christians, you will, it says, the trial of your faith. He says, if need be, now for a season. I am a Christian now for 20-some years, and every trial that God has put me through, it's not if need be. God puts us through because he needs to put us through it, because we are his children. Not to become his children, but because we belong to him. He puts us through because he wants to make a vessel. He is building and shaping a vessel that can bring him glory. And he says here that the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold. The trial of your faith, much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. And it might be found to the praise and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 21. We'll read several scriptures here. That Chapter 2, verse 21. He goes on to tell the people of God. And that's the, the story of Christianity. We think that Jesus, because Jesus Christ suffered for us and died and rose again, now we don't need to. Whoever, if, any, if anybody ever believes this message, has believed this message, or has this message been preached to them, that is a false doctrine. That is a doctrine that does not come from the Bible. Here's what the Bible says about sanctification for a Christian. Here, for even here unto were you called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who in his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And then he goes on in, in chapter 4 verse 1. I think it says verse 1. Yes, for chapter 4 now, verse 1. It says then, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. And verse 12 and 16 he, gave, he, he then says, the same chapter, Beloved, think not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Now, brothers and sisters, we live in Canada or in USA. We have not been, we have not so far experienced persecution from the world, from rogue regimes, from the government, and from like, uh, like our forefathers did, uh, that uh, persecuted for their faith. And we tend to skim over these words and think, well, that doesn't apply to us. 
We haven't been persecuted. We don't face persecution. We don't face affliction like like some of the saints have had. That's uh, uh, and so this really doesn't apply to me. This applies to every single Christian that walks the face of this earth. And just because we don't have outward pressure and the world and Satan, well, we have the world and Satan, we got those, but outward pressure, persecution doesn't mean our faith doesn't need to be tried and tested. There with God, there is no, uh, God has a toolbox full of methods and ways and means by which he refines purifies and builds his child his children and more than often than not they are just your everyday circumstances your everyday relationships your everyday people in your lives whether it's your job or your pastor or your elder or your brother or your coworker or your children or your spouse or your wallet. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one out for now. But God has a, 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 a variety of ways in which he builds his people. And the words of Peter here apply directly to every Christian. Okay? So if we're his child, he is deeply invested in us. Amen? Or no? He is deeply invested in us. Why would he be? He purchased us. He purchased us with the blood of his own son. You guys, you brothers know and you sisters, when you purchase something at a high price, you protect it. You don't, do, don't dare anybody touch my um, golf cart. Don't make a scratch on there. Uh, I paid a big money for it, right? We purchase it and we're kind of very protective of it. What do you think God is? He purchased you with his own with, with the blood of his son Jesus. He is invested in you and he cares for us. He loves us deeply and he wants the best for us. But what, how God gets the best from us and how we want the best is an entirely different story. Two different there's two different viewpoints here. God wants the best for us. We don't know how to get it. And if he only wants the best for us, that relationship needs to be tried by fire. Just as in marriage, real life sets in after the honeymoon. So in a believer, as a new believer, life sets in. The journey with Christ together. And as God is working to produce a soldier for himself, we find ourselves chafing at his training school. We find ourselves chafing at his development, at his, at his methods and means and ways to refine and purify us. The story of God wanting to deal with his people and wanting to bring his people to a, to a place of rest, to a place of maturity, to a place of joy and peace, as the brother said in his, in his introduction, is as old as the Bible itself. Remember when God took Israel, any of you who know my messages over the past years, I am very focused on Israel's journey because it's our journey. And we see how he put them through a horrid wilderness for many years. And he says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 and 3, he says, He suffered you to hunger. He made the way tough for you. He beat you. He allowed you to thirst and hunger. He allowed you these things in your life that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That he might teach you, he says, that he might humble you and teach you to trust him. So those of us no, who, have been, who have been Christians for a, for a while, know our faith is a journey. When we come to Christ, we've just been delivered from the penalty of sin. That doesn't mean you've been delivered from the power of sin. 
and then to do that as a journey. That's a fight of faith, a journey that takes years sometimes. But I believe, and I have my own experiences as I teach our next generation at home, I find the more you can can share your life story, the more you can, can equip them and show them that God is actually at work in your life, in your everyday circumstances, the quicker they learn to yield to the Father. And thus he can train them in his God, in his ways. So if you're today one of those people who thinks, well, there's, uh, I have a few tests, ways you can test yourself to see if, if, if God is actually working in your life. If God is here having you in his school of discipleship, and then how, and then we'll talk about how we respond, how we normally respond to those circumstances. So those of you, as there are people here who think others have it better than they. You can make yourself some quiet check boxes in your in your mind with all these here. If you today wonder if God can make something out of your life, you're a mess, you're defeated, you're anxious, you're lonely, you're sad, you're depressed. If you're one of those who sees the thorns in life and not the roses, if you're one of those whose lives are dominated by the giants of fear and anxiety, does that characterize your life? Fear and anxiety. You're in God's school of discipleship. Do you see the waves and the roaring sea instead of Jesus, like with Peter? Do you question the wisdom of God in what's going on in your life and can't understand why God would allow something to happen to you? Are you troubled by the direction of the world, the country? Does that give you anxiety? Are you struggling in your relationships with people? Do you have people problems? How about some of you, maybe? Can't let anything go. Still holding on. Holding on to something from maybe five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago. Not letting go. Some past hurt. Some past something in their lives that is that is holding them back. Are you a person who wants to control outcomes? Are you a person who wants to be in charge? Wants to be in control of situations? Are you a person who feels like running as far as your eyes can carry you from your problems? Are you one of those people who thinks, if only I could be among different people, I would be a better Christian? If there's anyone here who feels like God is after them, I'll have you know you're right. He is. God's after you. Do you feel like God has forsaken you? Does he seem far away and doesn't, you know, just a, a, the heavens are brass, far away. God doesn't really mean anything. So I'm just living, I'm just going through the motions of life. Do you blame others or God for your circumstances? For the dilemmas and the problems in your life? Or are you, finally, are you hiding behind a facade, a veneer? Trying to make a nice show on the, on the surface, but inside you're breaking up and you're broken and you're hurting and you're torn. All, everything I mentioned here is God dealing with his children. Every single one. And when Peter says here, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as some strange thing happened unto you. He means whatever you're facing in life. With God, it doesn't matter the source of the affliction. With God, it is irrelevant where it comes from. The source of the, of the adversity that we face in our lives. The source of the problems. Whether it's even sin in our lives. 
It does not, the source is not relevant. It is that we recognize that as his children, we are in God's school of discipleship. And so those trials come in various ways. And those God, and God's soldiers need to be made. They, don't, they need to be equipped. They don't just happen by themselves. Development strength does not just happen. And when we learn as his people to interpret the circumstances that we face in life, the, interpret the trials, the relationships, and everything we face, God can do marvelous things in our lives. God can do wonderful things with us and through us. And I believe, I'm one of those people who believes that um, uh, church life is one of God's best tools in committed church life. It's one of God's best ways because when we are in committed relationships, just like in marriage, when you're in committed church relationship, you can't bail out tomorrow. You have to face reality. And more often than not, God is making us face our own hearts. Because it is in the heart of man where all the trouble, all the conflict, all the stress, and all the pain originates inside the heart of man. And Christ wants to make us beautiful on the inside. And when he's deeply invested in us, he wants to make sure that you turn out. Like your parents, you want your children to turn out. You're deeply grieved when they don't. You're deeply grieved when you see them going astray. We're deeply grieved when they, when they, uh, they make these bad decisions. What do you think our father is? How deeply grieved he is when, our, when, when we make bad decisions. And so he has a, a, a ton of ways in which he trials our faith ton of ways in which he purifies and, and strengthens us and teaches us and trains us. But our problem is how we respond to those times. And there's four ways that God's people typically respond to the adversity. Four ways. And all four demonstrate the various stages of development in which we are in as his people. The first one, so there's four, and I'm just going to read them down, and then we'll go back and do each one separately. The first way we, uh, we respond is in the flesh, carnally. We resist, rebel, or we run. That's the first one. Resist, rebel, or run. Stage one. We call them the baby Christians. The second one is resign. You know what resign is? We resign to the realities that we're under. That's the growing Christian. The third one is accept. That's the mature Christian. And I'll leave the fourth one. A secret till we get there. So the first one. Resist, rebel, or run to life's trials and circumstances. This is our flesh's typical response. Whenever we, we face difficulties, we want to bail out. We, want, we, we run from suffering, don't we? You guys have medicine cabinets completely full of... Uh, pills and stuff that uh, to avoid suffering, avoid pain. And now, I'm not against that, by the way. That's physical. I like my Advil too. So, <clears throat> But it, it, it's, it's naturally, the natural thing of a human is to avoid suffering, to avoid any kind of adversity. We would like a smooth life. You know, work five days a week, go fishing on Saturday, relax on Sunday. And then just kind of just ease through life and have and just enjoy it. Have you ever heard of a soldier of Christ being made that way? All that makes is a bunch of spoiled brats. 
that God can never use for his, for his glorious purposes. That's a life of ease is not what God wants for his children. He wants men and women that bring him glory. And he has determined that the only way that can happen is through suffering. Sorry to burst your bubble. That's the only way God can get glory from a human life is through suffering. Peter warned us of that here. So that the typical response to those things is, is, the, is when God puts us in a, in a, in a, in a situation where, uh, look at Israel in the wilderness. That was carnal. God took them out of the, of the wilderness, out of uh, Egypt. They were his own. He took them unto himself. You are my people. You belong to me. I love you. And I want to bring you to a place of rest. But guess what? Between Egypt and that place of rest, there is a period, of a place you need to go through. That's your wilderness. And in that wilderness, I am going to beat you up. I'm going to suffer, make you suffer. I'm going to give you, give you true trials and, and tests. And I'm going to prove you, he says. In verse 8 of Hebrew, of um, chapter 8, he says the, those exact words and said, to prove you. Does God know who we are? Does God know us? God knows us intimately. We don't know ourselves. And so God has to put us through those difficulties so that we get to know ourselves and thus mature. And in the, in the wilderness, they reacted. They reacted to, to Moses' leadership. They reacted to, to uh, the food and the, and, uh, the bland food, the, the water. The, uh, they reacted towards everything. And God was pretty upset with that. So in that first stage, when we resist, rebel, or run, we are still living with self-preservation. We want to preserve our lives. And Jesus said, he who wants to preserve his life shall lose it. He who seeks to save his life. We're focused on self-preservation. We're focused on, on, on our, our holding our pride and our ego in place. And we don't want that to, to be, to be um, messed with. So we are quick in that first stage. Quick to blame others. Quick to bail out when God wants to corner us. We're quick and we have a problem taking ownership of our own lives and of our own choices. But the, the God, in my years as a Christian, I've learned that God never corners us in such a way that we can't get out. He, always, he puts us in a corner, but he leaves a door open. So we can actually get out of the, the tight situation. And often, more often than not, we choose the easy path out. But if we believe that God is deeply invested in us, we believe that God has us in a circumstance because not to bail out, but to surrender and be built up into a vessel that brings God glory. So he does hammer us in from time to time, like he did Israel, but he does leave a way back. They wanted to turn back. They wanted to run. They resisted Moses. God was deeply grieved in Psalm 78. He said, they limited the Holy One of Israel. And all this is to do that you face in life is to see if you actually trust that God loves you and that God has your life planned out and ordered. There's no mistakes. With a child of God, there is no oopsies with God. With his, when we're his children, he, everything works together for good to those who love God. So if we still respond to difficulties, relationship problems, etc., like the Israelites... We should know pretty much about where we are in our journey. We haven't entered a rest. As I said, as those, um, that list that I gave you there. Entering into God's rest takes a little more than that. And so 
in the first stage, the way we respond to adversity, if we respond by complaining, blaming, bitter, angry, and anxiety, we have to realize God's got work to do on us because God promised to bring us to his rest. He said, fear not, little flock. It is my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, I come unto me. He said, I will, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you to yourself. I will come to you and I will help you. And so he gives us this. In 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter tells, says then, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The second way we respond to difficulties and adversity is resign. Are you a resigned Christian this morning? We might think resign is a good thing. Well, it's not a, at least it's not a bad thing. But resigning is you don't see God. The, the problem with people who are resigned to faith, resigned in their Christian life, have a hard time seeing God at work in their life. They have a hard time connecting the dots. They have a hard time seeing that God actually would be interested in me. They, you know, um, even even misfortunes or accidents or or whatever may happen in their life, uh, they don't they don't real they don't attribute that that God is actually in all in any of this. But I believe, and I know it from real life experience, that the God I serve. My Heavenly Father has my life planned out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he's working it together for my good. So when we, were, when we are resigned, that's not overcomer. We simply learn to deal with the issues that we face. We cope with difficulties. We put on this, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay countenance, you know. But you don't see God at work in their lives. We ascribe pain and tough situation to a broken world and a reality. And it's true, right? And it's easy to actually attribute it to that. And so resigned Christians are tired. Are you tired this morning? Are you tired of the fight? Resigned Christians are tired of the fight. They have a fatalistic view of life and of life circumstances. They just view everything and that happens to them and in them and around them as, oh, that's, it just happens. And we just pick ourselves up and carry on. But the God we serve has a higher purpose. And so resignation is not the best. Is, is, is not the, is the, it's the second way we respond, but that's not where God wants us. That is only partly. Partly where he wants us. That's maybe a sign of a growing Christian, but not the ultimate. The third way is accept. A Christian that learns to accept what God, where God has them, and in the situation that God has them in, is going through the process of sanctification. And this is a, a, a level of maturity that is not reached overnight, brothers and sisters. This is a level of maturity that takes fighting and wrestling, and that is our warfare. That is the spiritual warfare we're engaged in that we signed up for as his children to fight a good fight of faith. We don't know what that means. It doesn't mean, you know, fighting a good fight of faith is going and, and trying to get the world converted to Christ. Or No, the good fight of faith is to... Make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the fight of faith. And so a Christian that accepts adversity in his life is someone who knows that Romans 8.28 is true. All things work together for good to them that love them. All things and who have been predestined and to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. He knows those things are for my good. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 3 to 5, not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing what that sufferings produce endurance. It does something. And endurance 
produces character. And that's what God is after. He wants godly character in his children. Not religious character. Godly character. Someone who's beautiful on the inside as well as on the outside. And so it produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that is given to us. So God's people who accept the journey God has them on, they don't always understand why. Trust you me, they don't. But they yield themselves to the potter. And they know he's got their best interests at heart. They view people in their lives and circumstances as vessels and tools to produce kingdom fruit in their lives. And they believe that God prepared them for them. That's maturity. They submit to authority, they know for their own good, and they believe the sovereign God is not unjust, nor is he out to get them. And here's where many people get confused. We think, well, I know God's not out to get me. I know God loves me. I know God wants my, the best for me. But it's the people. It's the people that I have to deal with. And in dealing and in having to deal with that, you know, if it was just me and God, it would be great. But God plants us in brotherhood to transform us. And God gave the people in our lives to bless, to challenge, to rob us. You know, iron sharpens iron to change us. And as that happens over a period of time, we see beautiful people coming forth. We see people being matured in the faith and in their walk with God. We see vessels that God can use. And God can only use us in proportion, in the same portion to which we learn to surrender to him. And God can only use us to that to that level. And so that this one is, a, is, a, is if, if we attain even this one, that is wonderful. But there's one higher. There's one that goes beyond this one. Beyond accepting what God has for us. And that is we learn to embrace the journey we have on. God has us on. That's another level. You embrace the journey. And the only I believe the only people on the face of the earth that have true joy in their lives are those who embrace the journey God has them on. The rest of us are just either hanging on or holding on. And 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 we're we're just we're just we're, we're just making it. We're just well, you know, we're getting by. But if we embrace the journey, you that shows more than trust in God. That shows complete dependence on God and that's that is a level of Christianity that is rare and it's a level of Christianity that God wants us to reach there's three Bible characters we could talk of all three of them that, that I use as, as an illustration and that is Joseph, Nehemiah and Daniel, those are three powerful examples that embrace that shows they embraced the, the the those three men faced circumstances that none of us have ever faced. None of us probably ever will face. Joseph. He was given a bag of lemons, I'm telling you. From his brothers in uh, in Egypt. And look what came out of that man's life. You think he was uh, feeling sorry for himself over there as he, he was sold as a slave, treated like dirt. Hebrews were absolute dirt to the Egyptians. We know that, right? That's the, that's what history tells us. And here is a Hebrew boy who got put into 
to a, a, a difficult circumstance. And he, not only, he didn't complain or blame or pine away or feel sorry for himself, nor did he say, oh, well, I'm out of my father's house. May as well forget about everything and just live. No, the values he was taught, he stood by them. He embraced them. He was given a job in Potiphar's house as a slave. And in no time, Potiphar noticed God was blessing his house. And it's not because Joseph was walking around with a long face and just doing the bare necessities. It was because Joseph embraced the journey he, God had him on and did, and, 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 and Potiphar noticed this guy, there's something happening here. Same we can say from Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, there's a, as a Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I should actually read that verse. It's actually pretty beautiful. Nehemiah. It's in chapter, in, in Nehemiah chapter 2. I put a marker in here. Anyway, it's in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says that Nehemiah was, was the king's cupbearer. And he was giving the king, um, bringing the king uh, his grape, his juice, his wine every morning, every morning, every morning. And one day, when Nehemiah heard the sad news of Israel and the state of Israel and the nation of Israel, he had heard report back how bad it was. And he was sad. And the king instantly noticed it. He said, never was I sad before in the presence of the king. And here he comes into the king's presence once and he was, had a sad countenance and the king instantly noticed it. That's quite something. Nehemiah was sad. And this gave rise to the to whatever, uh, to, to the release of his people and, and them rebuilding Jerusalem. But you can see from this, in, this one incident that Nehemiah accepted the, the fate that he was in, embraced the job that was given him, and served the king with a joyful heart. And I believe this helped change the king's heart to let them go back to his people. For once, Nehemiah was a sad man, and wow, what's wrong? You always bring me joy. Now today you're depressed. What's wrong, man? And he told him a story, and the king's heart was softened, and he let him go back to the land of Israel to fix it, to um, re rebuild it. I, I find that really fascinating. And, of course, we all know Daniel. And that's those are people who embrace the difficulties that... They're in. They don't buck against the circumstances. They actually say, God, this is for me. I know you love me. I know you have my best interests at heart. Second Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, well, Paul was, Paul was kind of getting complaining about the, the, the thorn that he had in his flesh. It, was, it must have been hindering him, but uh, he... He definitely, and so he uh, said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. He was saying, Lord, I will embrace the journey you have me on. I have afflictions. I have, I, I'm, I'm fighting this battle in the flesh, but I believe it's for my good. He even said in, in Philippians 3, 7 to 10, What things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He was a Christian. That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Paul was only interested in one thing, that he might share the life of Christ. And he knew in order to do that, that I must become, I must share in his death as well. And that's the suffering as we get hammered and beaten into shape. Embrace the journey. Even if you accept it, it's a great step. Don't be resigned. Don't resist or rebel. If you accept it or embrace it, those are wonderful ways to live a Christian life. And a Christian that embraces the journey sees God everywhere. He's not up in heaven. He sees God in, his, in, in other people. He sees God in his neighbors. He sees God in, in uh, even, even in, the, in the, uh, the political spectrum. We see the, the devastation of society around us. We see, we see God there. God's bringing judgment to a godless nation. We see God in our brothers and sisters. We see God in our, in, our, in our families. We see God in our spouses. We see God in our elders and leaders. We see God in our brothers. We see God and the way he works in our lives. And that is a beautiful standpoint from which to live your lives, brothers and sisters. The other one is absolutely uh, always filling with complaint. Embrace the journey because you are serving a big God. And when we do that, when we accept or embrace, Our circumstances might not change immediately, but we change. And when we change, everything changes. When we change, God, the farmer, will start lifting the plow out of your life. If we don't change, he keeps it down. He just keeps it down. Sometimes he puts it down even further. You are serving a big God, family of God. We are serving a big God. And so 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you believe that this morning? And God bless you. Amen.